Welcome to Conscious Communication, the podcast that can help you improve your company's culture and better your team's communication, helping you build more significant relationships. Now here's your host, Philip Bogolub. I have the privilege and honor of talking with Mike Conrad, a name I can actually pronounce and say easily. You're welcome. Mike <laughs> yes, thank you. Mike began his career in the electronics assembly equipment industry in 1985. Uh, that's when I got my first job. So we're both around the same age here. He then founded, how do you say, your, I should have asked you this, Aquis? Aqueous Technologies. Aqueous means water. Aqueous, or some people say aqueous. Oh, I like it. Aqueous, aqueous. Oh, I didn't know that. I don't, oh, aqueous, aqua uh, technologies in 1992. Been doing this for a while. So Mike describes himself as a reluctant engineer, not the reluctant astronaut with the movie in the reluctant 1960s. Entrepreneur. Ah, what did I say? Engineer. My bad. I I'm marked not, down I'm engineer. I'm not a reluctant engineer. I was a <laughs> certainly a reluctant entrepreneur. See, I wanted right. to stay in my little engineering world. I <laughs> I stand corrected. I was wrong. I put down engineer, and I don't know why I was sitting in my head. So thank you for correcting me. Reluctant entrepreneur. Not even close to the spelling. I didn't screw that up. Sharing his unique journey uh, from founding his business and building a company in a highly competitive electronics business. And electronics, we'll talk about if we have time for that. The electronics industry, you know, we always think about software. We were talking about that before we hit record. It's more components and stuff. And, and I completely relate to that since I am uh, an engineer myself and dealt with that. He also has his own podcast show called Reliability Matters. Mike, thank you for correcting me, and thank you for being on the show. <laughs> no problem. Well, you know, you're an engineer, so everything is translated as an, through engineering terms. So I can totally understand why you would default to that word. But uh... <laughs> I, I'm usually good at that, but I'm like, I read it over. I'm like, you know how sometimes you read something a hundred times, somebody goes, do you know that's the wrong word? I didn't see that. So I want to ask you, what was that serendipities in your life? What was that accident and coincidence that occurred? That you didn't just wake up in the morning and go, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to be in the electronics industry. I'm going to do, you know, build components and clean them and all this other stuff and build businesses and make a difference in the world. What was that thing that guided you to where you are? I'm sure there's a lot of stories, but what was one of the things that come to mind where you got to where you are today? You know, one of my favorite speaking gigs is on the subject of entrepreneurship. Mostly it's engineering stuff, but on the subject of entrepreneurship. And what I tell students in this case uh, is there's, adversity, which, you know, you're, everyone faces adversity and they think it's kind of a curse. It turns out it's, it's kind of a blessing. And I'll give you an example. Uh, how I got into this business, the industry that I'm in, uh, 34 years ago, my wife and I were going to Scotland because she's Scottish and I was married in Scotland. So the deal I made with this little Scottish redheaded bride was, and I, and I made a, a empty promise because I didn't have any means to fulfill the promise. But when I married her 43 years ago um, in Scotland, I said, look, come to America with me. If you can go home as often as you want to see your family. Well, we had no money, so I, it was an empty promise. But anyway, and as a result of not having much money, uh, we when we would go back and forth to Scotland, we get the cheapest flight possible. And back in those days, you can get charter flights. And they weren't all that reliable, but they were half the price of a, of a regular commercial flight. So we, we went on this chartered flight uh, to, to um, Scotland, and I could stay for two weeks because I had to come back and work, and she stayed for a couple weeks longer with our uh, one-year-old daughter at the time. And long story short, the flight, her flight coming home was canceled. 
for oh. three days. It oh my was God. Delayed, I should say, for three days. So for three days, she was in the airport. They they would keep them at the airport during the day in case they fixed the plane and 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 put them at a hotel at night. Then bring them back six o'clock in the morning, make them stay all stay all day with airport. a one year old. With a one year old, yeah, right. And with a one year old and a travel budget with just enough money to get home on one flight. And now that's three days later. Right. So she was running out of money. She was running out of diapers. Uh, and she met this old couple, older couple, and. Uh, they were about to start a business, you know, three days of conversation. Uh, they said they were going to start this business in the electronics world in Southern California. We lived in Northern California at the time. And, uh, you know, where's your husband? How come he's not here? And and she explained the situation and they said, what does he do? Well, he's a sales guy, he, you know, engineer kind of sales guy. Oh, okay, well, have him call us. We're looking for someone. So I didn't think much of it. But a few months later, I had a bad day at the office, kind of curse number two. First one, canceled flight. Second one, super bad day at the office. And I, I remember that conversation. So I called him up and gave him a long overdue. Thank you for watching over my, my wife and daughter uh, back then. And I hear you're looking for someone. The next day I'm on an airplane. That day I'm hired. Uh, and now I'm in the business I'm in, that, the industry I'm in now. And then very long story short, I designed some products for them. They or I tried to, they weren't really interested in my ideas. I thought they were great ideas. That's all. I couldn't sleep. I was just so consumed with this product idea. They weren't really interested. So I grabbed my baseball and my bat and I went home and um, I resigned and I started this company. So this company is, is a complete result of things that have gone, the perception of things going wrong, a canceled flight, a bad day at the office, a boss that wouldn't listen to me, uh, and many other uh, things uh, and it, they turned out to be blessings. They turned out to be the fuel that I needed, you know. And I think the God or the universe or you know whatever, however someone frames that, has a plan. And and um, if you're not ready for the plan, the plan. I think the universe kind of goes, all right. Well, he's not ready. Stick it on a shelf. <laughs> and I can't tell you how many times I've learned something without realizing I've learned it until something happens and I, I and I'm like, wait a minute, I know how to do this. Right. I remember this lesson right. from years ago that I kind of threw away. Uh, right. So I think there's a lot of serendipitous, uh, synchronistic things that happen when they're designed to happen, when the person can receive that. Yes. Very well said. I love the story because <laughs> I can picture all the, you know, stories are great because as an engineer in the medical field, I used to, you know, be on the phone all the time. And even if you do an email and towards the end of my career in that, in that business, I was doing texting, but more of anything, you have to create an image in people's minds and you just did a great job because I could picture your wife there. I could picture this gentleman that you're talking to and picture you flying there. So you really put a good picture in, in the mind and you're hundred percent correct. So everybody knows this and, and you're already speaking about it. So universal mind, call it God, call it Krishna, call it a cup of coffee, call it Atman. I mean, there's, there's over 115 names uh, of God in the world and many of them in India, there's like over 40 and it's they're all over the place. There's some there's things I've read in the library that are civilizations that have been gone for, for thousands of years. And so whatever you call it, call it a cup of coffee, but I don't believe in serendipity, accident, coincidence. I believe the universal mind, the spirit guides, and the angels, the angels become ser serendipity, accident, coincidence, but only if you're plugged into that, only if you're willing to see that and are going, well, that's interesting. I had a bad day. You know, interesting that my wife got stuck there. Interesting. I got this interview. And how those little things, and they're all little things, because people always think, oh, it's got to be big. So you watch the movies and read books. It's got to be big. 
you're going to be a millionaire in five minutes. Okay, fine. Excuse me, five microseconds, five picoseconds. That's one engineer to another engineer. Dorky talk. There you go. Dorky and, talk. But it's, it, it's, it doesn't happen that way. And you normally don't get these enlightenments till years later when you become more experienced in life and you look back and then you realize, oh, I got this. And then, you, then it starts speeding up even faster. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't really speed up as opposed to just you're aware of them more often. That these things, I'm like, what am I? I always ask the question in my communication system that I've created. What am I supposed to learn from this? What am I supposed to get out of this? And you didn't ask those questions. But when you got through them and you look back at some point in your life, you're like, obviously, those things were meant to be. But you you just hit it so right on the head. If you're not willing to accept it, if it's not the right time for you and you're not ready for it, because when you try and force something, I found out that the hard way in life, I'm sure you have too, it doesn't work. When you try to push it, it doesn't work. You know? Yeah, I, I find that things happen at the right time and not a second too early and generally not a second too late, uh, even though it might appear that way at the time. Right. Uh, but for example, had I, had I been aware of everything that I know now about business, had I known that back in 1992 when I started this business, I probably wouldn't have started the business, not because I regret any of it. I don't regret any of it, but only because I would have been too smart to think that business was a smart idea, <laughs> you know? So look at the skills that I had when I started my business. I, and I say skills in air quotes. I had ego, arrogance, naivety, a very poor assessment of risk, and passion. That's what I brought to the table. Right. And I had some intellectual skills, but lots of people have those. So, and fortunately, I learned that those skills that started my business were eventually going to kill my business. Because, you know, I, I tell people, you can sit at a table in Las Vegas, you can sit at a roulette table, and you can bet on the inside of the table or the outside of the table, and you can get lucky. You can, you can, you can win at blackjack so many hands in a row. You can get lucky. Uh, but eventually, stay at that table, that luck's going to run out. And, yeah. you know, statistically, it's just a fact. Right. So, the skills that I had, the ego, the, the passion, the arrogance, the naivety, the poor assessment of risk are exactly what I needed to start the business because 75% of all businesses fail. That's a statistic from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. Forever. That's just a cold, yeah. inconvenient truth. Yep. 75% of all businesses fail. If I had known that and I had factored that in as a risk you know, risk reward, you know, balance. I'd be crazy to start a business when there was a 75% chance of failure. And, yeah. but it wasn't, were it not for the ego, the naivety, the arrogance, the passion, I wouldn't have started it. So I had to learn not a moment too soon, not a moment too late, at the right synchronistic time, the next skill set. I call it shifting. You know, when you drive a manual transmission car, you can't drive far in first gear, but you can't start in fifth gear. And what I know now is fifth gear stuff, but I couldn't start a business on fifth gear because my intellect would say, Mike, this is a bad risk. This is not a good value proposition, you know, and I would talk myself out of it. Rightly so. So, um, so yeah, I think everything happens synchronistically at the right and appropriate time 
And when it comes to learning new skills or knowledge or wisdom, it comes when it comes. And the lessons, ironically, were taught maybe years before, and they just become visible in the present moment. It's like, I knew this so long ago, and I didn't realize it was sitting right in front of me. Does that make sense in your world? Oh, 100%. Because, you know, when I was 25, could I do it? One of my best friends, Jeff, I've, I've asked him before, first time I did, I said, why couldn't I have done this when I was 25 or 30 or 35 or whatever, and I had more energy and blah, blah, blah. He's like, did you have any life experience? Well, no. Do you think it was meant to be that way? Yeah, I goes, then I'm not talking to you and hang up the phone. <laughs> because it's true. The experiences that I've gone up till now with my uh, immersive communication system, as you know, with my musical that has now take uh, people are interested in, with this podcast show, with uh, live speaking engagements, what I'm doing uh, locally here at health clubs and, and, and doing things in the mind, I couldn't have done that before. But without all the experiences, without traveling around the world and dealing with engineering problems, realizing, didn't realize it at the time, that 99.9% of the time, you were saying something about this earlier, I think before the mic turned on, that 99.9% of the problems I didn't solve. I was there as the tech support engineer to come in and help Mike. Mike was being screamed at at the hospital because the CAT scanner, the, the, the x-ray, t- x-ray system, the cath lab, whatever's not working because it was the x-ray tube device that we put on there. And I was not doing anything. And I really kind of knew I wasn't, but it was more of let's go get a cup of coffee. I was the support mechanism. I was, but those experiences made me a better communicator, made me aware of how I was talking, my body language, my eye contact, my, uh, how I approach things, how I thought about things, how I mark things. And I didn't even know it at the time. And, if, and again, if somebody told me several years ago, well, the business is going to close, that I was going to thought I would retire at. And my wife goes, you know, go do your passion. Go just, just, we'll figure it out. We, have, we came up with a business plan. We weren't going blind. We didn't mortgage our home. And I did a lot of engineering work for many years during, during the growth process. But you, you know, if you knew these things and you knew how difficult something was, whether it is a business, whether it's raising kids, whether it's getting married, anything, anything actually, you wouldn't do it. You would just, you would just sit at home and watch television. You wouldn't take it. Because I think everything in life, if you look at it that way, is a risk. But I don't believe it's a risk. I also, also you were mentioning about adversity. I, I call them making mistakes. It's the same thing. Those things are meant to be. So they get two choices, right? You learn from them or you stop growing. That's it. How, when, when you've learned, when you learned, well, you didn't know at the time, but when, as you learned them and realized, do you, are you more accepting to the adversity, to the mistakes, whatever word you want to put up with it? But well, I like the word you have, adversity, because it's a more broader term. Do you kind of embrace those things? In the moment, no. Mm. And looking back in retrospect, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's funny though, because every time I've had an adverse effect, whether it be three months after I started my business, my former employer sued me because it turned out he didn't like competition. Um, <laughs> adversity. Yeah. Um, we ended up winning, took all of our money. We almost went bankrupt. We, we couldn't even afford a lawyer to declare bankruptcy. It was that bad, which caused me to instantly, without fear, without a lot of a deliberation changed the way I, I was running the business because we were about to fail. Um, that moment of action or, or reaction to this adversity caused us to do some things that I would never consider doing because they were too scary. 
You know, uh, for example, we changed our payment terms overnight to 50% down. Now at the time, our stuff sells for, you know, over a hundred grand now, but, but at the time there was things were selling for 20 or $30,000, these machines that we built. So we would, we were a brand new company, just gone through this lawsuit and we won, but it was, we were totally broke and, and people would call this new company and want to order a machine. And I'd say, fine, you know, 20,000 down. And they'd look at me and like, you're nuts. We're not going to give you $20,000 down. You're a brand new company. We'll never see you again. I said, well, then we're not going to sell you a machine. And I didn't say it quite that harshly. Right, right. Diplomatically right. Uh, correct. But, right. but, but there, was, there was absolutely no decision in my mind. You know, like, did I, is this the right thing to do? Is this, you know, should we ask for money down? There was no choice. You know, uh, people jump out of burning buildings, tragically, to their death. They don't hesitate to do it because their brain says, I don't want to burn in a fire. So I'm going to jump out of the building. Maybe I'll survive. Right? right. There's no thought about that. It's just instant reaction. And that's how this was. This was my burning building moment. And it turned out it was the best thing for our company. We didn't lose a single sale. People bitched and moaned about it, but they ultimately they liked our product and they, they would comply with our terms. And that enabled us to barely squeak by at the moment. It was a burning building moment. And it was just no thought. Just do it. And it turned out to be the basis of a, of, of a correct move. And I can't tell you how many burning building moments I've had. And then I see you start thinking, why wait for the building to burn? Why am I waiting for the building to burn to learn that our payment terms are, can be better? Right. You know, why wait for the 2008 Great Recession to do what we've done afterwards? Why wait for our advertising reputation to be in the gutter because we were just obnoxious advertisers? Why wait for people to complain about the way we advertise before we come up with this new education model. What, but uh, so, yeah, I, I, no one likes adversity, but I'm grateful for it because every time we had to go through one of those uh, adversity moments, uh, it created a better result. It made us a better company. It made me a better person. It made me a better entrepreneur. It also gave, I would assume when I was listening to you, more integrity. Because when I'm listen, listening to this, I'm like, okay, they don't, they might know or might not know that what you went through. They might not even care. But when you do that and you get, come through and then you do it again and you come through and you're asking for that $20,000 down, then you've got more customers going, no, 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 don't worry. Mike's totally honest. He's not going to take your money. He's not going somewhere. You're not going to Mars and you're never going to see him again. It gives more integrity. When you go above and beyond what you do to be able to just... I, I can't tell enough people to do that in business, in family, in everything you do in life. Go above and beyond what you think you should do. Don't, you know, there's many times I'm sure you have. My business is still fairly new compared to what you've done, but you've meant, I'm sure you've, I guarantee you've mentored people, correct? You have mentored people. Yes. Yes. So Hope, hopefully, I, I have well. the thought I have mentored people. Well, hopefully, yeah. they feel mentored. Right. Well, I, I, I've had many, uh, well, not many, I've had, uh, I had two of my last job, I had one many, many years ago, and now I have a, uh, two or three in my life. And I'm doing now that for uh, a couple of people that when I did some of my, some of my seminars, they said, you know, I, I knew they were young. They didn't, and, and never even, it's one of those things that didn't occur to me going, hey, give me some money. I just, it's like, hey, can we meet for a cup of coffee? And now we meet like every six to eight weeks with a couple few people and there's no money exchanged. But what I find is that not that you can't make a living, you need to make a living, pay your bills, whatever your, your thing is, but going above and beyond what you, what you do from the heart, from knowing that, you know, when you did that model 
of going, I need the twenty thousand dollars, I need fifty percent down, I need the and then and then you then you like, wait a minute, why do I need to wait for this go down to the toilet before this happens? Why not? I used to call it crisis management at the office. And I would say the, because uh, I was the only tech support person there for most of my career uh, until it got to the point where I ain't traveling like this no more. I want to be home more. I still loved it, but it was too much. But I would set, I'd go up to the management and I, I worked in the sales and marketing department and there was curses and there were good things. One of the curses was crisis management. Ah, don't worry about it. Ah, don't worry about it. I was like, I'm telling you, da, 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 da. And I'd send emails, I'd send everything. And most of the time, I was right, only because of experience. And they go, and I, I looked at my manager, I go, don't you even say one word. <laughs> now, he was my boss, but the whole thing is you, you don't need to be in the arc of life. You don't need to be constantly going up and down and up and down and feel a little better, feel a little worse. You can even this out. You can be in the direct current. You don't have to be in the wavering, alternating current thoughts. You can be in, in, in frequency, frequency modulation, not the amplitude to modulation of noise and freaking out and everything. You Go down to the frequency modulation. Eric is my nerdy part. Frequency modulation and go to zero modulation. Just being able to communicate within yourself consciously and then consciously communicate to everybody else in the world at a place of no noise, of realizing that some people have the answers. Here, I'll get, here's something I want to throw out to you. Being in your own business and, and, and doing what you've done your, for many years now, almost of your life, don't you find empowering people a gift and giving people the freedom to share in your business and your success much better because then maybe they go off and do what they want to do for them. Not necessarily competition, but you know what I mean. Something in their gift, something in their soul. Don't you find that? Uh, and I'm sure you've seen that, right? Something how you're making a difference with your employees and they just blossom. Yeah, I do see that. And I do gain a lot of satisfaction from that. Uh, one of the things, you know, I do a lot of public speaking and it's always, not always, it's, it's the majority of my public speaking is on the subject of reliability of, of electronics. And, you know, that, uh, that along with an ambient, you know, allows someone to sleep for eight hours. Um, so <laughs> unless you're in that space, so I do find enjoyment out of that because I do enjoy seeing the light bulbs go on with the engineers and the scientists that I speak to. And, but even more, I, I'm able to, um, at this point point in my life, in my career, in my company's life, um, I'm able to kind of step back. The company, I have a wonderful team that runs the company. They, they, they pretty much pay me to stay away, which is a very wise investment. Um, <laughs> company founders tend to change the vibe when, when we show up on the, you know, on, the, on the office floor, on the factory floor. We kind of change the vibe a little bit, uh, not always for the good. So, um, <laughs> my team is amazing. They're, they were into the details I was never into and, and they just, they're, they're an amazing team. So I'm blessed with the ability to sit in my little magic studio and create content, uh, that makes electronics more reliable or helps people understand what makes electronics more reliable. But also I get to kind of pay it back, pay it forward, whichever way you want to look at it. And I get to speak to students, uh, university students and, uh, young people and, it's easy at 63 years old to get caught up in the current popular thing of, you know, we're all screwed with the millennials, you know, they're, they're lazy. They don't have an attention span more than 140 characters and blah, 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 blah. And, and like most stereotypes, there's, you know, there's a little bit of truth and, and, you know, there's one foot in some of those statements. Um, but that doesn't define a, define an entire generation. So 
um, I like next week I'm going to Dartmouth College in New Hampshire to speak to their classes and um, of engineers uh, that are graduating soon. And and I speak about entrepreneurship. And I leave those events so charged up, so inspired. I go there to inspire them. And it's like stealing candy from a baby. It's like, it's like I get more inspired than they do. And, and then I realize that if my future health and well-being is defined by this upcoming generation, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be fine because these are great kids. These are kids with ideas. These are kids, you know, with, with, uh, talent and, and, um, and drive and drive. And unlike speaking to the engineering world, I speak to the engineering world and I say something slightly out of their comfort zone and I just get the, you know, the disagreeing, right. Or eyebrows, like what's this guy talking about? Right. I say something a little out of the comfort zone for these young people, and they're like, "Really, really? That's possible?" Yeah. And yeah, everything is possible. They're not jaded. They're they're not hardened. They're still sponges. They're still permeable. And yeah. when you get to like you and I, we we tend to most of us in our generation and every generation prior to us, you know, right? We we, we we're no longer permeable. We're no longer moldable. We're, we're, no, we're no longer absorptive. Uh, and we've kind of created this hard shell. This is the world according to us based on our experience. And that's all there is and, and nothing will ever change. And um, so it is nice to be able to speak to younger students. And do they look at me as a mentor? Maybe. Do they get something out of what I'm, I'm saying? Maybe, hopefully. But I certainly out you know stuff i i i leave um more inspired more uh, fulfilled and a better person by by doing that uh, so yeah long answer to your short question no 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 it's a great answer i love it and like i said i love the descriptions of what you're doing because um oh two things one i will i will challenge you in the ambient world of dorkiness of talking about x-ray tube technology. I did many, many, many seminars with with engineers and it's the most boring. I mean, oh my God, but you make it exciting. I I brought parts of the x-ray tube and I shared it and you talk about, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm 61, right? So I'm like, I used to go to, to, uh, um, uh, what was the name of the electronics store? Radio Shack and get components and replace a resistor on a computer board and people. So, and I get the younger ones going, radio what and some going i went there um but it's interesting because (laughs) you hit this right in the head every generation before that we always say this is the worst time ever and then when we're dead and go on the next generation this is the worst time ever and the next generations it's always that way um you know go back to the the hippies right those are useless people well they're ceos and presidents of companies and whatever you know it, it, it and you're right because it's we need to be permeable. We're not permeable. We need to be more flexible. Yeah. We need to be more flexible, not in our, just our mind thinking, but in our bodies too. Because as you get older, you have to learn how to be more flexible in your body and your mind. You have to go, you know what? I can't sit for four hours doing this. I need to move around. Uh, my, my wife and I, we do Pilates. We go swimming. We do stretches. We do different things to keep flexible. But I mean, I used to be, you know, lift the weights, or as you can see, I'm Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, but lift weights or do something. 
but it gets you more stiff. And I, I find that as I get older, I want to be more flexible in my mind and it reflects in my body. I want to be more, yeah, just more flexible. And I, and I like that because when you're talking to people, younger people, they are sponges. You know, I didn't know, still don't have a clue what I'm doing, but, I, it, but it, understanding the complexities and analyzing it till I was in my late 40s, early 50s. And, you know, it, and if you read different philosophical teachings or psychological uh, or theoretical, te- I do a lot of reading. Most people don't get a lot of insights until they're in their 50s, 60s, or 70s. People have better marriages, not better marriages, more successful marriages and relationships, even if you don't get married, after the second or third one, maybe. And it's just, you know, people are starting new lives and new careers at 70 or 80. I mean, when we were growing up, somebody being living to a 70 or 80, that was that was long. I mean, there's thousands of people who are close to 100 years old and they're sharp as a tack. You know, yeah. you, know you go to the retirement communities and stuff and I, I do some activities. I'm starting to do some activities in retirement communities. And you see people, in a, somebody in a wheelchair or seeing, you know, in a walker and you're going by them. And it's no different with the kids. It's the same thing in reverse. And they look at them, how you doing? And they're sharp as a tack, sharp as a tack. But when you see them, your immediate mindset is old, useless, can't move. Let me tell you something. We are wasting the... Are you a Star Trek fan? I, Captain. Okay, there you go. All right, there you go. So, you know, we are... When, when Spock died, the, what, the 10th time, whenever he... <laughs> yeah. You know, and he didn't... You remember that, you know, well, his whole life is, is gone if you couldn't mind meld with him. And there's so much life experience in these places. There's so much life experience in the world. And we're not tapping into that. There's a way I know I'm going to try and see how this can work to tap into these people because it's not just businesses, but raising families, maybe going through horrible things, losing their homes, just different, but, but a lot of good stuff that there's so many things. And when you're talking about kids, they're the sponge age. And when you get people that are old around our age and older, we're not necessarily sponges, but we are. I love to be, I love being uncomfortable, uncomfortable in a good way, but uncomfortable in a way, adversity in a good way, uh, because I'm looking for things that, so why did I make that mistake? What can I learn from this? And when I'm talking to people that are in these retirement communities and, and in my, before my parents passed away, I mean, my dad was 86, my dad, my, I'm sorry, my dad was 91, my mother was 86. They had so much life experience. And I just love that idea of talking to young people because they're like, they're like, oh, interesting. I didn't quite think of it that way. Yeah. I wanted to talk to you, with you about, um, we, we kind of tapped into it a little bit, fear-based decisions. Mm. When you made your decision to ask, I don't know if you want to call it, it was out of fear. I think it was all, it was more survival. But give me an example of somebody doing something of, out of fear as opposed to you were doing, you had to do it. I don't know if that was, maybe it is fear. I don't know. But how, how can you get away from that and realize which is the right decision to make at the time? I, um, uh, many years ago, I, I was so desperate for, uh, well, let me back up. I used to have what I like to call my magic wand, Mike's way of fixing all problems. I would come in, there'd be just, everything was falling apart total chaos, I'd wave my magic wand and things would magically fix itself, right? And it was a skill I had, obviously, right. a metaphorical magic wand. And then one day I came to the office 
problem, problem, problem. Mike, 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 Mike. So I no problems. I went in there and I waved my magic wand. Nothing happened. Waved it again. Nothing happened. I'm like, oh no, my magic wand is broken. My, <laughs> the, the skills I had to solve a problem, my toolkit of experience and skills and wisdom right. were not enough to address the problem at hand. And I realized, okay, I'm out of tricks. Every trick I had, I've used, it doesn't work anymore. Like an antibiotic to the body. Your body will form immunities to it. And, and my business formed immunities to my antics. So I needed to learn new tricks. So I hired a consultant. And, you know, the, one says the definition of a consultant is, Philip, I hire you as a consultant. And, and I ask, and I hire you to tell me what time it is. And the first thing you do is ask me if you can borrow my watch. <laughs> now, does that mean consultants are bad? No, it just means the answers are already there. You just can't see them. It takes someone from the outside to see the answers, but they're right in front of you, you know, disguised, blending in, camouflaged. So one of the things that I learned is how do you know what the right decision is? It's actually remarkably simple. Take time and money off the table. So I, I would say to our consultant, I think we need to do this, but I, I don't know. It's scary. And I, I don't know if it's the right decision. Fear, fear, fear. And she'd say, what if you had all the time and all the money? Would it be the right decision? I'm like, well, yeah, sure. If we had money to do it and the time to do it in, of course it would be the right decision. Then that's the right decision. Find a way to get the time and the money. Change your focus from, is this the right decision to how do I fund it? And in what time can I get this done? Then you start working on the problem, not the fear part of it. So if you can just take time and money off the table, as I have learned, the, the right decision becomes extremely obvious. Then, because we, we get caught up in fear. I can't tell you how many fear-based decisions we made and uh, over the years. And, you know, you do react. Fear-based decision is, you know, jumping out of the window, right? which may be the right decision in the moment, but it's right. a fear-based decision. Right. When, we, when I started getting the realization that our advertising was just like the Charlie Brown phone thing, wah, 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 you know, it was just <laughs> bull, right. um, it became quite apparent that we needed the change. And the education model made a lot of sense to me, but it took two years before we implemented that. Because for two years, I suffered from FOMO, fear of missing out. I thought if we don't do trade shows anymore, we'll die. No one will know who we are. Everyone will think there's a problem with us. If we don't advertise in all the trade magazines every month, like we were doing, mm -hmm. our phones will stop ringing. And, and yeah, the education model sounds good, but we still need to advertise. We still need to do shows and we can do education, which made no sense. But that was fear talking right and then one day we just overcame the fear and then it, it's had exponentially wonderful returns uh, it's the best one of the best things we ever did strategically in our company uh, but but it took two years of of wrestling with the fear and that's two years it stole from us we could have been doing much better two years earlier right, right. but then on the other hand we weren't ready to do it then we Good probably point. we didn't have the skill sets ready two years earlier to implement a good education model 
we probably didn't have the technology to produce podcasts. We probably didn't have the budget at the moment to fund air travel all over the world to do these the speaking gigs and all that. So fear maybe had you bought us some time to get the other stuff right or to make sure that we were truly committed to it. I don't know. So I was fear a mistake? Sure. But maybe not. Maybe it was there at the right time. Maybe that fear kept us because we weren't ready to implement what we ultimately would implement. So uh Okay. I, I don't know. I'll never know. I don't need to know that. Yeah. I just need to know that when we started this new model, it was the right time. We never looked back. I call them God winks. Yeah. And and because they're just there at the right particular time. I'm like, where did where did that come from? For the first uh four or five years, doing this about eight years now, uh, out of the corporate world. And um while I was doing that, I was trying to find my way didn't have a clue what I was doing. I know what I wanted to do. I know what my, my soul told me. I know what I wanted to do when I was younger, blah, 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 blah. But I did a lot of engineering work on the side. And I'm talking about fear. Uh, there's two fears I want to share with you. One of them was fear of I'm making money, but I'm not doing what I want to do. But I knew logically in my, in my late 50s that I'm like, well, this has got to be the way it is. But I'd still have for the first couple of years, I'd get people calling up from other companies. So I did it for so long. Phil, why don't you come over here? We really would love, because nobody did what you did, and you started the tech support, but blah, 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 blah. I'd run upstairs. We, we were working from home way be, before uh, uh, 2020, but I ran upstairs to my, where my wife's working upstairs in her office, and I told her what's going on. Something happened. Oh, so-and-so offered me this job, and then she goes, go downstairs and shut up. I'm like, what do you mean? It's like, but, uh, you know, because the mind wants to, it's safe. It's safe. I can just, I can make a living. I don't have to think about it. I could you know, put the money in the 401k. I could do that, you know, at vacation. And she goes, go away, go downstairs. We had this discussion and it probably happened about a half a dozen times <laughs> over a period of a couple of years. And then it tapered off. And I still did a lot of engineering work and I built up money to buy equipment and new guitars and, and, and technology and different things that I needed to do coming into the more the, uh, from the analog to the digital world. But I, I find it interesting with those shows that, uh, there's a medical show called RSNA, Ra uh, Radiological uh, Society of North America, largest medical show in the world, here in McCormick Place in Chicago. Everybody shows up. Do you get any business? Do you have to show up? Yeah, because all the other big ones are do doing that because the company I used to work for was owned by a big company. But do you get any business? No. But I went there for uh, over 30 times. And it, towards the end of the career, I was getting tired of it anyway. You're going to dinner, you're talking to people. We're not making any sales. And they say, oh, I haven't seen you in 30 years. It becomes kind of like a, like a, not a party that people are drinking, but a it's party going, It's a networking going, hey, event. That's yeah, all it is, is a networking yeah. event. You're but absolutely it, right. But it didn't gain you anything. And I mean, it's nice to see the new technology, but on the other hand, the more things change, the more they stay the same. You know, when I tell people, look, I'm a dorky engineer, electronics engineer. The capacitor is still capacitor. The resistor is still a resistor. An RC network is an RC network. A diode is a diode. NPN, PNP, God, I haven't said those letters in years now that I'm talking about it. Has it changed? No. Has anything moved forward? No. They're still using the same. Now, the difference is when I installed, uh, when I got uh, 1985, I worked for uh, a big medical company and I installed medical equipment all over the United States. And it took about four months to do it, maybe five, if you were lucky and didn't blow up. 
and you had to separate the cables from the signal cables and the power cable so it didn't interfere with the magnetic field, blah, 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 blah. Now you can install it in four days. Plug and play. But nothing's really changed. So when somebody says, what do you mean? It's faster. Well, yeah, they got 10 microprocessors instead of one. They got maybe, here, I call it memory chip memory. I call it uh, a chip memory. You know, the hard drives have been replaced by random access memory and read-only memories. They're just chips. Has the chips changed? No. Has there, is there a one and a zero or is there like a point one? <laughs> no. Yeah, we are, a, in a, we are in a phase of evolution, not revolution in the bingo. tech industry. Pretty much everything that we have today is just a smaller, faster, cheaper version of what we had 30 years ago, 40 years yeah. ago, um, yeah. with very few exceptions. There are very few exceptions to, to that statement. Very few revolutions. It's 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 an a increasingly fast rate of evolution. Probably the fastest our history has seen. Great. Uh, but but going back to your trade show analogy, um, it's so funny <laughs> you said that. The last trade show we did before we had this epiphany that we're just you know doing it all wrong. Right. Um, we we had a budget to do a show in Anaheim every year. It was the largest show that in our industry, and and we spent like $150,000 on this booth, you know, this, this 20 by 30 foot booth, 600 square foot booth. And, and we rented this, this really gnarly waterfall that was at the very back of the booth. It was, it was 15 feet high, 30 feet wide. Wow. Instead of dropping just sheets of water, it was basically the world's largest inkjet printer. It had thousands of little nozzles and it would drop the nozzle. It would drop water beads to form images and words as they fell Ooh. from the sky. It was Ooh, like cool. an inkjet printer. It, cool. it, it would, and it was really cool. And uh, it was very expensive to rent, but, but it was really cool. And right. you know, we were the cool guys at the show. <laughs> and every year we were known to do something more outrageous and more outrageous and more outrageous. And this was like the top. And uh, our, our equipment was in front of the waterfall and our equipment's on wheels. And, and some guy came up to us just before the show opened and he said, hey, Mike, your booth is amazing. And I'm like, thank you. I <laughs> myself on the shoulder, feeling very proud. And he says, do you mind if I take a picture of your booth? I just find it the coolest booth ever. I'm like, of course, no problem. And then he goes, is there any way you can move your equipment out of the way? <laughs> that was a sledgehammer on my head. Oh, and that, know. it was the exact epiphany moment i realized okay we've jumped the shark you know we we have totally jumped the shark we have just done something so outrageous and crazy in an effort to get a little bit more attention that okay we need to, I, I didn't realize what we were going to do but i realized okay we can't do this anymore wasn't that oh my what god we're going to do next year you know right. i mean you know what where's our our limit so um so we that's when it just hit me. Like, this is not about waterfalls and fancy ads and fancy booths and hospitality suites and parties after, you know, after the show. Uh, this, this is about people have a real problem. We have a real solution. How do we connect those two? We don't do it through waterfalls and we don't do it through shtick and we don't do it through obnoxious advertising. We do it through education. And that's the, conclusion we came to but it, it took that can you move your equipment out of the way right the only reason we were even there was to sell equipment and but you weren't no they want we to see the cool stuff to move it out of the way because it was it was a distraction to the distraction 
it was a clearing of the mind for you. It was a, an epiphany. It was a God wink, as I call them. And then just, you know, it was in a, another adversity, another wake up call because I was forcing for the, the musical when I wrote it. I have a 90 minute musical. I played the guitar, bass, drums, and piano, and, and I did it all here. And um, I have the script and everything. And I did it about uh, two years ago. And I started forcing trying to find people. I'm thinking, Somebody's. I have this thing in my mind. I know nothing about Hollywood. I know nothing about any of this stuff, but I decided this is the way it's going to be. And the more I forced it to find somebody, the worse it got. The stories got stupider. Um, I have a million dollars. I know somebody. So one of my best friends, Leanne, said, let me ask you this. If you got a million dollars, do you know any directors, producers, choreographers? She went down this list and she's been in her own business for like 40 years. She goes, you got to go down a different path. You know that, that communication system, that Ajinoi thing you're doing? Yeah, it's like that mindfulness stuff, that immersive stuff. Do that. And then I started that, and that's where I'm at today. It's like the podcast. I'm creating relationships and getting good people. People are listening to it. It's going to build something. I don't know how how it's going to look all the time, and it's building things in the musical, the da-da-da-da. But you, you, you have these things put in front of you because in your mind, you still have an ego as you get older. You're thinking, ah. I know this. Like you said, you went and you, you did your Harry Potter wand. Didn't work. The Harry Potter wand was cracked. <laughs> it wasn't working no more. And I just love that thing with somebody saying, Mike, that's great. It's kind of like you standing in front of their product and you're in a great suit and I'm going, Mike, that's great. But could you get out of the way? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Our product was in the way of what, right. they, what, what they came to see. And right. when we spent, you know, more than six figures to to impress about impress someone on a product we don't make or sell right waterfall, right it, right that's something seriously messed up right and <laughs> and that was the that was the fire in the you know the building fire moment that was like okay we got stop just stop yeah. we didn't worry about we didn't have FOMO after that right right, right. it's like stop the madness and and that was a no no decision you know no no like long contemplation. Oh my God. Suddenly I, the truth to what we were doing was unveiled, unveiled instantly. And yeah. it became instantly obvious and visible what we were doing, the madness of what we were doing. And, and but it, you but you had to go through that. You you had we had to, to get to that, that moment. We had to get to, to the, that the the building on fire moment. We right. had to get to the can you move your stuff out of the way? The only reason we went there was for that stuff and we were asking right. out of the way. So that became so obvious. It was like, okay, we're done. Yeah, we're done. Yeah, and it wasn't impulsive favor? because we had years of building up. Oh, right, right. To do that. So it's not like it was an impulsive move, although the decision was instant. Right. It was based upon <laughs> all these experiences. The universe was telling us the whole time. Right, Mike. It's, you're done. Mike, Mike, you're done. This doesn't work. This doesn't work. But we were so afraid. We had to hang on to it for another couple of years until, well you had to do the pie in the face like the three stooges and that asking to move the equipment was the pie in the face it <laughs> it was the crescendo it was the finale to your musical right oh but yes yeah I, I i just can picture you standing there so proud like a proud brand new parent and you're like look at my baby and i was like well that's great but could you move the equipment out of the way i want to this you know like what did you yeah, just say? <laughs> take the baby out. I like the stroller better. You know, it, it's like, it, it's, it was uh, instantly disheartening and instantly, instantly oh telling that, okay, yeah, I hear you now. 
I uh, hear you now. Right. It's obvious now. It's it's it's, it's on quadraphonic stereo. Yeah, it was like that Verizon commercial. Do you hear me now? You're Do you right. hear me now? It's like, yes, I hear it loud and clear. Thank you very much. <laughs> there was, a, what was the movie with Jim Carrey uh, where he becomes God? Uh, uh, oh, what's the name? I always forget the name of it. It's not Oh God. The oh God no, was, yeah, that, that was, that uh, was what, George Freeman or. Uh, oh, George uh, Burns, yes, George, yeah, George Burns. Burns. Morgan, the one with Morgan Freeman, right, where, where Jim Carrey's playing God. Yes. And so he's, he's right before that happens, he's driving, go, God, give me a sign. And you hear the music, and there's, it, there's these signs in the back of the truck that says, stop, wrong, go, go, don't go this way. And then, and then it goes, God, please send me, you can't send me a sign. And another one's like, you know, the, some, some other sign that said, turn this way. Yeah. And then he eventually runs into a pole and starts waking up. Um, but, yeah, it's 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 so funny because there are so many moments in our lives that we don't see those, not because we're resistant, but we're so involved in our mind going, this has got to be the way, this is the best thing ever. And then you're like, get the hell out of the way. <laughs> I want to take a picture of this. And it's just, the only the only request I have now is you've got to send me a video of this if you have any to see this thing <laughs> although yeah i think i have some videos of the of the waterfall but you'll uh, have, you'll have to look at it through our equipment because our equipment is in the way so, and I it's can on deal video i can't move it now so. no that's okay i can deal but i i before we end the show i love that story before everybody who's listening my audience listen to what he said it was right in front of you and you don't always see it. And that's why I always question, what am I supposed to learn this? What am I supposed to get? If I tripped and fell on something, I always, people used to tell me I'm, I'm a klutz. And I realized I'm not a klutz. I wasn't being here now. I was so worried about getting from here to the, that door 50 feet away that I wasn't even thinking about what was going on in between. And I tripped and I wasn't paying attention. Be aware that at least for where I believe in my life, in my immersive communication system, my philosophy in Ajinoi, what am I supposed to get out of this? What is the purpose of it? If it's something that's out of the ordinary, see what you need to do. Maybe nothing. And like like Mike said, maybe you're not ready yet, but at least put that in your, your EEPROM somewhere. <laughs> Raceable programmable read-only memory for those of you who are not nerding out right now. Put it in there and then erase it with some ultraviolet light in your there mind. There you go. Yes. Redo it again. See, now I'm really showing my age. But before we go and we do a closing, what kind of, you've left a lot of great gems. I'm never going to forget that story. I, I just love that story. Get get out of the list. I'm sorry. It's, I can just picture it. And your face just going, bleh. Yeah. Um, what is a good positive? Yeah. yeah, exactly. What is a positive aphorism you can leave the audience with? And I, you've left a lot of gems, but something you can leave the going, ah, I like that. That, that somebody can kind of walk away from this going, I love that. That's something I can think about. Oh my goodness. It's always hard to come up with one. I could, I right. could I'd probably give you 20, but, um, <laughs> you can give you know, more than I, one. I You're think, so totally up I, to you. I think at the end of the day, if someone is contemplating starting a business or if they're in a business and they're running into the same adversity, you know, it, different, different manifestations of, of adversity, uh, just know that those are gifts that they're there to teach you something. And, um, be, be open to considering the possibilities. Uh, th there's times when like my consultant or someone, a trusted friend would give me some advice and I would, I would in my head, inside voice go, this is nuts. This 
stupidest advice I've ever heard. Like, oh my gosh, I hope I'm not paying for this advice. And I, <laughs> and I would just reject it instantly, reject it. It's like, next. And, but what I've learned was, particularly when working with our consultant, if she would come up with something that was nutty, and that happened all the time in my world. It's like, oh, that's crazy. Uh, she did teach me one thing, and that is consider the possibility. So I have this ability, I don't know how to describe it, every mind is different, but I, I have these like shelves, little cupboard spaces in my mind. And I can take something and go, I don't know what to do with this. Instead of rejecting it, I stick it on a shelf. It's there, but it's not gone. It's just there. Or if, I, if, I, if something is bothering me and I need to figure out how to solve a problem and I just don't have the bandwidth to do it, I can put it on a shelf and it doesn't weigh me down. It's there. But it's there when I'm ready, I'll pull it off the shelf. And I can't tell, tell you how many ideas that I've heard that I thought were nuts, totally insane, that I put on a shelf. I didn't just reject them. I'm like, okay, I'll consider the possibilities that this could be a good idea. I'll stick it on the shelf. Almost without exception, maybe without exception, every one of those ideas made sense later when I pulled it off the shelf and re-examined it. When the, the contextual situation matched that idea all of a sudden it was like there's the puzzle the empty space for the puzzle piece that will uniquely fit i didn't see i would have this idea that was like a puzzle shape and i didn't have an opening in my puzzle for that to fit into so i'm like okay well i could have could have thrown the piece away right and then when i did find where that piece goes it, it's too late it'd be thrown away so i would put it on a shelf and then i would find where it goes later and like I said, I think probably without fail, every one of those ideas paid off. And they were so counterintuitive, counterintuitive. Like the best way to sell your product is not to talk about your product. The best, the, the most profitable word in business is sometimes no. Sometimes no makes you more money than yes. You know, um, fear, fear-based decisions. You know, take money and time off the table. Well, who would do that? Because money is a real thing and time is a real thing. Why would we take those off? That's, that's an artificial world. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's amazing what you find the time to do when you really want to do something, right? And you're not yeah. afraid to do it. Yeah. Time clears itself out. It just, it, it's, it's like an icebreaker to forge a path through the ice that you can easily get through. It, it, it will find a way to work itself out. You can take fear off the table. So I don't know. Those that's that's more than one. No, it's great bit of wisdom, but that's just from my experience. No, it's it uh, it's much appreciated, and I know the audience does too. Because you know, right now I'm spending a lot of money with the musical, and my wife and my friends remember remind me going, "This is not a savings account. This is not a 401k. This is not a pension. This was built. You built this up so you can. It's the time. But in my mind, it's illogical because." Mr. Spock saying here, uh, return on investment. I'm not getting really that. No, I'm getting nothing. No, I'm get But you sometimes have to take that fear off the table. And you said that very, very right, very appropriately. Because you don't want to be stupid. But uh, And I talked to some people. I mean, I, I had to talk to, I had to get an IP attorney. I had to do things that I never did before. <clears throat> and this one person I'm working with who's locally, who started that ball rolling with the executive producers in Hollywood and stuff. She's like, don't worry about it. We're okay. And I, and I met with her. I, my wife met her and my friends met. You know, you want to get the, you want to do, you don't want to go down the ba a bad path, but that fear, 
if that fear runs you, it's not good. If the fear, I don't know if you want to replace fear with another word, but if that fear is there just to make sure you're questioning things at the right time, that's different. But if you're yet letting that fear run you, like you said, it's not the best thing. And Mike, I, I just just great words. I mean, we could we could go on like this. We could just talk about positive aphorisms for a whole episode. But I want to thank you very much for being on. Go go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Just one one comment on absolutely. On fear. You said maybe fear is not the right word. Yeah, I think intuition is a better thing. Listen to your intuition. Intuition you is it. based on your life experience and your 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 gut. Intuition will tell you if something is truly worth worthy of fear. Right. Fear itself. It's hard to listen to because yes. your body is just programmed to fear anything that is <laughs> risky or right. could could result in pain. Right. Uh, you know, that that's just your body's survival mechanism. So respect that, but really listen to your intuition. And everyone has it. You know, mothers have it to protect their children. They have a great intuition. And yes. if you're birthing a business, you are a parent to this business and you will get an an intuition. And don't mistake it with fear. Intuition to me, I listen to my intuition. I try not to listen to my fear. You know, it's there. You, you know, fear is a, probably one of the most powerful emotions. But it, 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 and you do want to respect it, but you want to understand it has a place. Its its job is to protect you, right. and and you have to use your intuition to see if that fear is uh, valid, or if it's just yeah, my, you know. Fear is just trying to protect me. Right. Everything's okay. Right. And you, right. Yeah. Very well said. And much appreciated. You, you, you're, you don't want to be run by that. You want to uh, under, you want to understand and trust your gut, trust that intuition. Very well said. Mike, thank you very much for taking the time to be on the show today. I'll only have to have you on for another talk and just talk about positive aphorisms, but thank you very much for being on the show. I really appreciate Anytime. it. Anytime. And thanks for doing what you're doing. Oh, thank you very much. And remember, it is more important to express your thinking thoughts and not the thoughts you are thinking. That is what is called conscious communication. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Conscious Communication. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on Apple Podcasts, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcast. You can also get more great information at ConsciousCommunicationPodcast.com.